नमस्ते एंड वेलकम आई एम जयनील दलाल एंड यू आर लिसनिंग टू द डिजाइन एम बी ए विच इज अ रियल लाइफ एम बी ए फॉर डिजाइनर्स यू विल लर्न हाउ टू लॉन्च अ साइड हसल एंड लेवल अप योर डिजाइन करियर फ्रॉम इंटरव्यूज विद रॉक स्टार डिजाइनर्स फोक्स वेदर यूर वॉचिंग दिस वीडियो वो यू लिसनिंग टू द पॉडकास्ट थैंक यू सो मच फॉर ट्यूनिंग इन आई एम डूइंग समथिंग डिफरेंट टूडे um usually what i do is i usually start the interview with with usually like talking about the guest bio or reading that but this time i'm going to do something a little, little bit different what i'm going to do different this time is i'm going to share with you why i'm so excited to interview with jared so i first came across jared's work in the form of high resolution media which is a series of interviews with some of the top design leaders in the industry at the time and that's when i first got to know about jared and since then i've kept following his work and you know his career trajectory and since then he's done a lot of amazing things that was just the start since then he's actually uh started two companies he's consulted with a lot of the heavyweights think about y combinator mit media labs google front greylock partners to all the way now where he's basically the gm of performance and vp of design at lattice right where he supports an incredible group of people and spans multiple disciplines like talking about brand product can content design research product management engineering data and operations and you might be thinking what is lattice well lattice is a high growth startup that builds b2b products that helps companies align grow and support their employees and not only that jared is also an investor and so when i was looking at all these things i was like oh my god like i i need to like get in touch with jared so i actually sent him a cold email trust me cold emailing works and he personally followed up he's a busy man um and when we got on the prep call uh we both agreed that hey something exciting to talk about um and share from his journey um is going to be how does a founding designer if they join a startup how do they level up like what what is that trajectory look like so today if you're tuning in that's pretty much what we're going to be talking about so jared thank you so much for coming on the show yeah thank you for having me excited to chat with you Oh my god, I got to go back in time. So <laughs> one of the things I'm curious about is ever since I watched all those high resolution uh um interviews that you all did, uh you and Bobby, um a lot of the topics that both of you are asking, I mean at the time if I may, were a little bit advanced. Like you're not doing all of those things at the same time. Like some of the topics about um design management and so many things that you you all covered is a wide variety of topics that not necessarily you were doing in your role at the time. Mm-hmm. So what I'm curious about is how have those learnings from those interviews helped you now in your career? It's a great question. So yeah, when when Bobby and I started High Resolution, I had just left my role at Teespring, uh where I was a design director spanning across product design and a, and a little bit brand design. And Bobby was at the time or or right before we started recording, um head of like digital design at, at WeWork. So, you know, we we both had had experiences building teams, managing folks, supporting teams, um and trying to level up our impact within organizations. But, you know, the when we started the series, we intentionally went after people who were doing it at a whole other level, right? And the impetus behind that was kind of threefold. One, there was just a genuine curiosity between the two of us, like just wanting to learn from people who done it at the highest levels. Uh another one was a recognition we had that, you know, in our times building teams in our previous roles, uh when we were especially coming across uh people new to the industry there was this belief or this fear rather that um they were not being fully equipped with the best ways to describe the impact they can have therefore maximizing the roles that they were able to get at organizations right and then a third um impetus was that uh we saw a lot of companies um understanding that design was something worth investing in but not knowing how much to invest in it or how to really uh realize its full impact right so we knew that the questions we wanted to ask our guests were going to be a mixture of things that we were just curious about like things that we wish we knew going in uh but also things that we knew that a uh, new grad or someone one year into their career would wish that they could have the answer to and it equally that a ceo of like an organization of call like 500 who has their head of design and a team um the questions that they would likely be asking to know what to how what to talk about with their head of design in the next one on one right so that was kind of like the the driving force behind the the questions that we um we asked that ultimately the guests that we pursued for the series and as part of those interviews you also I'm assuming built some sort of bond relationship with all those guests yeah and 
something I'm curious about is, have you been able to reach out um, to those guests? Like, let's say you interviewed, um, just through an example, like Katie Dill, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then since then, she's gone become to a, become a very famous design leader. And then now that you uh, are in a position of design leadership, were you able to, like, let's say, reach out to them or any of them and ask questions or advice? Like, has that helped you in that way? Yeah, it's actually been an amazing side effect. You know, it wasn't it wasn't a goal of the series, but it it ended up being a, a benefit. High resolution as a brand has actually helped me, and I'm sure Bobby even recruit right because there were designers who knew me by way of that series. And then when I would reach out about Lattice, they, they would make the connection, and be like, "Oh, okay, you know, like let's chat." Right. But to to your specific question, like yes, there there were a lot of guests. We had 24, um, and I've probably touched base with all 24 at some point since then. But um. You know, you know, you, you mentioned Katie, for example. Katie and I definitely have kept in contact, and Katie has actually been very helpful for me when I've gone through certain inflection points in in my role at Lattice, where I am able to like you know confide in her or um or ask her perspective on different org design structures and things like that because I know that she's kind of like navigated those things. Um, you know, Judy Judy Wirt, uh, who runs Wirt and Co. Um, you know, we actually reached out to her to even help when we were hiring our design leaders into the organization, when I started like, you know, so it's like, Hey, like, you know, now I want you to, <laughs> now I want to work with you directly, you know? So it's, it's been great. It's been great being able to keep in contact with some of those folks and, and really um, have the, the value that they provided for me personally extend beyond the series, which ended at this point over five years ago. So this is more of a personal question. So I also interview um, a lot of cool people, including you uh, on the design MBA podcast. Now, one of the challenges I've had is um, an organic way to keep in touch with them. Because, I mean, I, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be mindful of your time. So I can't just be like, hey, happy, you know, Merry Christmas, Jared. You know, like, <laughs> like you know, you get from a, your realtor or someone yeah. like that, that, that postcard. Yeah. So that's been a challenge for me as well. Like, how do I keep in touch with everyone? Because not all the times everything that I do would be related to what you are, you know, like working mm-hmm. on or is relevant to you. So, um I don't know, would love to hear your thoughts. Like, let's say if me and you chatted and then two years later, I just randomly pinged you, like, would that help? Then compared to me just being a a random person, given that the fact yeah. that we have chatted a little bit? Yeah, I think that it's an interesting question because I was actually chatting with a friend about this recently, not in the context of high res, but just in the the age we live in, people have likely orders of magnitude more connections than you know, the generation of our grandparents, right? Like, you know, you think about someone who lived 80 to 100 years ago, their connections were probably limited to their town, right? And then maybe like, you know, some of the people who knew the people they knew, and that was basically it, right? Then when higher education became became normalized, that kind of like extended our, you know, network, if you will, by people that you went to school with, whether like, you know, your classmates or people one or two years um, ahead or behind you. Uh, but you think about today now, especially in a remote world, like we have infinitely more connections. Uh, we have things like LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. It's it's a lot, right? And, and therefore, it's hard to actually keep in touch or keep up to tabs with, with all the people you know. Um, and then it also comes into the particular situation we're talking about where, you know, there might be an imbalanced incentive to keep the connection, right? Like maybe there's like, oh, like I really, really liked this person for this reason and I think that they can help me in these ways. So I want to keep tabs with that. But I also recognize that like, maybe they're not getting something from me. So like, you know, like, are they going to respond and all that? And the, the thing that's helped me most is just to like, not to, to stop thinking about it. You know, like I, I, I didn't want to overcomplicate it for myself and I'd reach out to folks and just be like, hey, how are things going? And I, I was genuinely just curious, right? Um, or if I hadn't asked, um, I, I stopped trying to make the mistake of pretending to be curious about their life and I would just make my ask immediately, right? And, you know, sometimes they respond, sometimes they don't. And I, I don't, I don't read into it at all because people have their different, people have their lots, right? I think in the cases of like people like Katie, I, I knew Katie before high resolution. Um, so there was already a pre-existing relationship there that if anything just got amplified by way of us being able to work on a project like that together. Uh, there were people who like, I kind of knew, like, like, you know, Christy Tillman. Uh, where that kind of like gave us a foundation for a friendship, right? But even Christy, she and I had not spoken since high resolution until like three weeks ago, right? Um, and then we wow. just happened to catch up over like a, a Twitter exchange we had. And we were both like, wow, we haven't spoken in half a decade, you know, but it felt like, felt like we were picking up right from there. So it's, I'm meandering a bit, but this is all to say that like, I think that it is hard to maintain relationships, um, whether there's a balance or, or not. But I think that if, 
if, if we don't overthink it and we just kind of like, you know, if, if you want a genuine friendship saying so, or if you just want something from the other person saying so, and however they receive it is, is their prerogative. Oh my God. In this current predicament that I'm in, this advice of yours, I'm going to remember, but right now I can tell you it's extremely helpful to me and comforting. That's good to hear. That's good to hear. And then, you know, to, to make it personal, like if you reach out to me, I'll respond. Like I, I, I strive to respond timely. Um, <laughs> sometimes I don't, but I ultimately do. I, I ultimately do respond to people. Yeah. So what set of events, I'm curious to know, has led you to joining Lattice? Yeah. So before Lattice, so I joined Lattice full-time in 2017, but in 2014, like early 2014, I joined a startup called Teespring. And uh, Teespring is where I met Jack Altman and Eric Kostler, who would eventually go on to found Lattice. So Eric was Teespring's like founding engineer. Jack was, I think he actually invested in Teespring and then joined um, as like our head of business development. And Eric and I obviously naturally got to work together a lot because he was like the founding designer. I was like their first full-time designer. So we worked, we worked really closely. Jack, I kind of just knew on the other side of the office, but uh, eventually we got to work together when Teespring struck its first partnership with the NFL and him running business development. There was a lot of overlap between like product design, the graphics and materials that we needed to make. So that kind of like accelerated, like it, it gave us more touch points to kind of like get to know each other and like a friendship began to spark there. So eventually I decided to leave Teespring. Uh, it, it had grown pretty rapidly. I think when I joined, we were around 20 or 30 people full time. When I left, we were, depending how you calculate it, somewhere between four and 700 people. The variance is basically we had like a distribution facility in Hebron, Kentucky that I think staffed like 200 people. So they were not technical, but like if you count the full headcount, it was over 500 people. So it's really, really rapid growth. And I learned a lot about what it's like to be on a quote unquote rocket ship. Like at the time, I don't think YC, Teespring was a YC company. I don't think YC had experienced an exit yet, like an, like an IPO, not an exit. Um, but like for all intents and purposes, it seemed like we were on that trajectory, right? So from the outside, everyone was like, whoa, like this company is just growing X percent month over month. And inside you're just feeling all the, all the stuff that happens when you're working in a company that grows that quickly, right? And I learned a lot, um, of what to do. Also things, what not to do, right? Um, and this, at some point I decided to leave. Uh, a couple of weeks after that, Jack reached out and said that he and Eric were also um, getting ready to leave and that, you know, they wanted to start a company and they wanted to, um, you know, there was an initial idea that they were exploring, but when he circled back a few weeks later, they kind of homed in on goal setting. Right? They wanted to build a product that can help companies align uh, the, the people within their organization. And the motivation behind that was after experiencing how hard that can get when you have a fast growing company like Teespring, right? So it was kind of like solving our own problem, right? So I was immediately interested for two reasons. One, I knew Jack and Eric. I really, really loved working with them. Um, and then two, uh, I knew the problem, right? Like I, I had felt it firsthand. But the conundrum was part of me leaving Teespring was to kind of just like chill out for a bit, right? Like I, I had not, I had been constantly moving since moving, since I moved to, to San Francisco. I wanted to kind of like take a break. Um, and then there was a part of me that also wanted to start my own company, but I, I really wanted to work with them. So I'm like, you know what? Let's kind of like strike, strike a balance in the middle. Um, I'll contract and help you all out nights and weekends. Right. So, uh, nights and weekends. I remember like in the early days, like, you know, we would, we would go over to Jack's place because he had a whiteboard. Um, or Eric, Jack and Eric would come over to my place. I think Jack has like these like <laughs> photos of me like at my desk and they're both like sitting right next to me, like <laughs> almost like the, the creative director photo. Right. Um, and you know, that kind of what I thought would be like a call it three month arrangement. Um, you know, I blinked and it was like a year and a half. Right. And, and wow. what actually happened towards the last four or five months of that year and a half was high resolution. So high resolution, I was like, you know, I really want to do this. Um, so let me kind of like pause my contract with you all for a couple months. And when I'm done, then we can really have a clear eyed conversation about like, you know, do I want to join or do I help you all hire someone? Because I was also considering that and talking to different people to be there, to be Lattice's head of design. Um, at some point after high resolution, I let like a couple months go by and I, I thought about it a lot. I, I considered Lattice, I considered starting a company, Playbook, my side project we were considering raising funding for and, and going full time on. And I also considered joining a, a fan company. Um, there was one in particular that 
you know, I, I had spoken to them a lot. Funny enough, uh, it was, it was partially motivated by one of the high resolution guests. <laughs> Funny enough, wow. Right. So, <laughs> you know, I, I was considering those three routes and, you know, the, the framework that really helped me decide and Bobby, my co-host is the one who gave it to me, uh, was people, purpose of pay. Right. And r- really understanding how I wanted to rank those things for my next opportunity mm-hmm. and what those things meant to me and what, which like how each opportunity stacked up against those things. Right. So I ranked it by people, purpose and pay literally in that order. And, you know, Lattice checked all Lattice checked the first two boxes. The, the third was more potential, obviously, you know, and coming in as a founding employee, your, your salary is not going to be what it is if you're joining a thing. Um, but I saw a lot of opportunity there, but the, the, the purpose and the people were really, really strong for me. Right. So ultimately that's what made me decide to join. And that was about five and a half years ago. And, and, and a quick question there. So if, if using that framework, like, uh, yeah. people, uh, person, um, purpose. people, person and pay people, purpose and pay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what if you have a company or an opportunity that checks all of these three boxes, but then do you have to have them in the specific order? Like, what if like you have a place that meets your purpose that meets the people check mark and also meets the, the pay, but it may not be the order you're thinking about. Like maybe you want the pay to be the first, maybe you want people to be second and mm-hmm. you know, your purpose to be third. It has all those yeah. potential, but, yeah. uh, Maybe not in the order you're thinking about. Sure. So that's why I think that the first step is ranking them for yourself, because I find that to be very illuminating and helps you make really tough decisions when you're faced with multiple options that at the surface level all seem equally viable. It doesn't necessarily mean that it will help you select one thing, but it will help you eliminate some things, right? So I was choosing between three things and this framework helped me eliminate the fan company right off the bat, right? And it really came down to starting my own thing or joining something that was just started, right? The people one was my number one because earlier in my career, purpose was number one. I'm, I, I still consider myself a mission-driven person. I love believing in the mission and, you know, like, really trying to solve a problem that I, that I would be proud to say I helped solve or, or contribute towards solving. But the first or s- the second company I co-founded um, over a decade of point at this point, the purpose was really, really strong. The people wasn't, right? My co-founders, I had two co-founders. One, I had like a pretty good relationship with. The other, I kind of did off the bat. And I, you know, there were some probably bi-directional flags, honestly, like I'm not going to paint myself out to be a hero. But um you know, when we fast forwarded a year, I think that those flags began to fra- create fractures in our relationship, right? And ultimately things did not pan out. Um, and my, one of my biggest takeaways from that experience was that people matter a lot, right? And, and in fact, when you're dealing with an early stage company, it's probably the most important thing because the purpose itself may shift, right? And in the case of Lattice, it did shift. The company I joined, it's not the company where we are right now, right? Like when I joined, it was, hey, we're trying to build, or when I started working on it, it was like, hey, we're trying to build tools to help align organizations. Yes, that is very much still part of our, of our mission, but it's like a fourth of our mission now, right? There are so many other things that we do today that were not even in our purview back then, right? Um, and, uh, you know, now we are an HR tech company. We did not think of ourselves as an HR company at the very beginning, right? So had I, banked on just purpose entirely, the purpose actually would have shifted a bit over time, right? So what I prioritized was the people. And I knew Jack and Eric. I knew them. I knew what they stood for. I knew what they valued. I also believed in their ability to be effective co-founders, right? Like I I was curious about their relationship with each other after knowing how important it is for the co-founder relationship to be strong, right? So I know the root of your question here is like, you know, what if you have three things, you have the three things and multiple companies check the box or, or a company checks the box without necessarily in your order. My, my advice here is to strive to find something that is within the order that you have designated for yourself. And if you do that work and you still end up in a situation where you have multiple companies that all check it in the order, just kind of give it a really scrutinized assessment. Like there's a chance that there is one that stands out above the, above the, the fold. And if not, I actually think that the company you choose to join is an example of a two way door decision, right? Like, the cost of like, if you're looking at two or three companies that all seem great 
and all kind of, you know, like at some point it's diminishing returns. Just, just join one and learn, right? The, the worst thing that will happen is you learn. The best thing is you learn, you make money and you stay there for a long time. I think that's really humbling to hear that despite um, following this framework, there could be an, a, a chance that things could go wrong. But the, but the fact is that you still learn and then you keep moving on and, and using those lessons. Because that's what I took away um, from what you shared about your previous part of the journey where you started companies and you learned from it. It may not have panned yeah. out the way you wanted, but you took those learnings with you along this journey. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's one of the things I love most about our industry, right? Where the worst case scenario for most decisions that you can make in the tech industry is learn. And that's not true of many industries. In medicine, the worst thing is you can accidentally kill someone, right? Yes. In law, you can accidentally have someone um, incarcerated who should not be, right? Obviously, you know, this, there, there, there are things you can do in tech that could really harm people, right? But if we're localizing it to your decisions as it pertains to your career, right? Um, the worst thing you can do is learn. And the best thing you can do is make strong relationships and um, make financial security, right? Um, so that, that's why I think that, again, the, the point I'll reiterate here is like, if you follow the frame, this framework or any sort, sort or form of framework and you arrive at more than one uh, clear option, just pick one and you'll learn at the very, at the very least. Love it. So now you're at Lattice, you're working there as a founding designer. At what point did you get the conviction that, hey, you know what? I think I can become the head of design here. I think that's what I want. Yeah, so it, it was my role from the beginning. Um, so it, I kind of saw Lattice as an opportunity to learn, but also apply some of the learnings I had from Teespring, right? Like when I joined Teespring, we were behind on design hiring. Uh, so my job quickly became hiring. Like I think within the first six months, Teespring, it went from a team of just me to a team of six because I just had to go. Like my first hire was like six weeks in, you know? Um, and I, I think that there were things that I, I was proud of looking back on that experience, but there were, uh, there was a massive long list of things that I'm like, I would do differently. So when I joined Lattice full-time, the, the role was that of head of design and the expectation was to help us, you know, launch our next set of zero to one products and then ultimately to begin scaling the team. The, the scaling of the team part came later because we, we had like a good product development engine running such that we didn't need a lot of people really, really quickly, right? Teespring was behind on hiring. We were kind of like, we were fine. Uh, so my first hire came about eight, nine months into the job. My second and third came probably within cumulatively two years within the job. And then since then, you know, we've scaled the organization. Design is around like 40 to 50 now. Um, and then the, the performance org is probably somewhere between like 50 and 100 or so. So let me get that straight. So you're saying that the uh, total amount of designers at Lattice right now is 40 to 50 or maybe more? Yes. Yeah. That is amazing. Oh my God. Wow. Yes. <laughs> it, was a lot of, it was a lot of hiring, <laughs> but um, it was fun. It was fun and I definitely enjoyed the experience and I'm constantly blown away by just the amazing talent on the team. Like we have a number of rituals uh, where we try our best to bring the whole design team together across all the different disciplines. And, you know, it's, it's a great group of people. I'm not egotistical, so I won't go as far as to say we're the best design team in the world. Um, but if someone said that about us, I, I won't correct them. <laughs> you know? how, how would you? Yeah. <laughs> so like on that note, I'm kind of curious, how would you describe uh, the lattice design culture if you were a person? That's a great question. So I'll, I'll just spit out the adjectives that are, that are coming top of mind for me. So one is empathetic. Um, and I know we use the word empathy a lot in tech, but I genuinely believe that this is one of the most empathetic group of people that I've ever personally worked with. Like not even just design team, like just teams in general. And I actually find it to be a strategic advantage for our space, right? Like you keep in mind, we're, we're an HR tech company, right? And when people hear the word HR, they don't typically associate it with like, fun, innovative, cool software, yeah. right? They associate it with things that are 
Sorry, negotiation. <laughs> exactly. Neglected, frustrating, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, I, I think part of that is because the HR tech ecosystem, in my opinion, lacks a lot of empathy, right? It's very, it's very opportunistic where it's like, okay, if I can literally technically support this workflow for you, I can make tens of millions or hundreds of millions of ARR. So I'm going to do the bare minimum and move on to the next thing. I being the HR tech uh, ecosystem, right? But the people who join Lattice and who join Lattice Design uh, tend to be motivated by really, really, really wanting to make people have good experiences at work. And what that then necessitates is understanding that you as a designer at Lattice are one of the personas of the people you need to build for, but not the only persona, right? And that necessitates empathy to one, well, it's necessitates self-awareness and then it necessitates empathy to then act on that self-awareness right to be able to know that like if you're trying to help a company facilitate a very thoughtful engagement survey or help a company uh, facilitate a performance review that actually helps employees understand where they can grow and develop that it necessitates understanding admins and hr professionals of which you are not one right or understanding the needs of executives or department heads or hrbps right um and we have that in our DNA. And, and I really, really admire that about the team. And I think it's actually one of the reasons why, you know, obviously there are many ways in which our products can get better, but it's one of the reasons why it's our products are considered best in class for the HR space, right? Another word that comes to mind or, or two, they kind of go in tandem here is adaptable iterative. Uh, you know, anytime a designer joins our team, we have like a welcome to design 101. And one of my precursor slides says, uh, change is the only constant, right? And, it kind of serves as a, as a, as a kind of segue into like this diatribe that I tend to go on <laughs> about how the culture uh, of our design team that, you know, likely helped to motivate the individual to want to join is the result of adaptability and iteration, right? Like, you know, we, we respond to the needs of the business. We respond to the needs of the team. When we create processes, they're not there indefinitely. We're always asking ourselves like, could this be better? Could this be deprecated? This could, could this be evolved? Right. And that kind of like leads in or blends into my next adjective, which is that of like extreme ownership. Right. Like I think the reason why our culture is as rich as it is, is because, um, I, I decentralize the ownership of it. Right. I don't consider myself the sole owner of our design team culture. Every design member is a co-owner. And a lot of the things, a lot of the rituals and stuff that, you know, we're even publicly known for. Or not of my creation. It's a designer who's like, okay, well, given this business goal and given this team goal, I think we can try this thing, right? Um, so those are some that come to mind. Uh, one or two more that, that I would say state are is, is collaborative. And, and I mean that in the sense of like um, really seeing ourselves as one of many disciplines that benefit the customer as opposed to the only. I think that designers and design teams can sometimes fall into the trap of believing we're the only ones who care, right? And, and what that means is that like, you know, we tend to isolate ourselves. We tend to not like things like design crits and reviews because there's cross-functional people in the room who don't get it and all that stuff. Right. But we, we try and hammer home this point that like, Hey, like design, we, we serve a critical function, but like we're one of many, right? Like we need our engineering partners. We need our data partners. We need our, our research partners, our product partners, et cetera. So I think that is something I would use to describe us. And the last one is funny or fun, right? Like, you know, Let's some of that. Them, the memes that this team creates are just like world class, right? Like I think if we just spun up uh, a Twitter that just spat out the memes that are created by this team, like it'd probably be one of the most followed comedy Twitter accounts there is. So yeah, those are those are some things that I'd say about the team. Oh my God, such an amazing team. Um, does everyone who joins a startup as a founding designer have to follow your path and become a design leader or can they just stay as an IC? if they were the founding designer of that startup? That's a good question. I think, so my answer is no. And I'm happy the answer is no. I think it always should have been no. But I think, frankly, it was likely yes, like up until probably like a decade or five years ago. We are very, very big believers of this at Lattice, given that we're in the HR space, that leadership management is a form of leadership, but not all leadership necessitates management. Right. And you can contribute to a business through the work or through the people who do the work. And therefore, if you are joining a company as a founding employee, the real question you're asking yourself is how do I continue to level up my impact and leadership 
And then the next question becomes, well, what tends to give you energy? Is it supporting people or is it diving in headfirst into very nebulous problems? I don't think these things are 100% exclusive. Most people fall somewhere on the spectrum, but everyone has a skew. And that skew is really what should illuminate your answer as far as whether you want to pursue running a team and supporting one versus contributing as a member of one, right? Um, I think the head of design title, especially when you're the only designer at the company, ends up being a trap in that regard. I get it. I get why we use it. But I'm not the biggest fan of it because I think it kind of like it removes all that critical thinking. You just kind of assume, all right, well, I got to start hiring people now, right? And maybe the answer is yes, but more often than not, the answer is no. Right? Like I didn't hire anyone at Lattice for a year, you know, because we didn't need to. Um, so it's interesting. I, I, I have seen, I, I've seen, sadly, less examples of founding designers who. Uh, never step into management roles, but I have seen a few and they all worked out in my opinion. Like one that comes to mind is Tim Van Dam at Abstract, right? Where he joined yes. as like a founding principal and he knows himself. I'm not going to speak for Tim. You should probably interview Tim, but, um, you know, he knows himself. He knows what his motivations are. And that, that looked, that looked from the outside, like amazing, right? It's like the dude is amazing at craft. He's amazing at, at, at his process. And I imagine the acceleration he had at abstract in that role is probably orders of magnitude more impact than if he had just felt the need to start building a team because that's what the archetype suggested, right? Um, so that, that's kind of like my thought on it. I think that the, the, the question is really like, how do I want to level up my impact? And then what gives me energy? And then you pursue that path. And if that path uh, necessitates you not managing people, that's not a failure. That's clarity, right? And then you go find or you work with your founder to go find that person um, because then the impact you're now able to have is unlocked. And then the team that then needs to be built will be built in the right way. Yeah. That's such a humbling thing. Like um, two things that come to mind is one is there is a chance that a founding designer may not have been managed by a great leader before. Like they haven't seen, like you saw what was like, what was the good stuff or was things not to do. At Teespring, so you had that previous experience of being managed by other mm -hmm. people, uh, working with other great leaders. So first thing that comes to mind is like a lot of the founding designers may not have been, you know, managed by other great leaders. And the second mm -hmm. thing is just the humbling part about, hey, I'm going to step aside for somebody else to take care of the design practice. And I yeah. think it requires a lot of humility as well, like accepting yeah. that. It does, but again. Humility is the right word, but it does imply a thing that I still want to root out, which is that you failed in some way, right? It's kind of like, oh, like, I realize it's not me. So like, you know, and it's, it's yeah. like, like you realizing it's not you is not necessarily a sign of inadequacy. It's a sign of clarity, right? Like there are people who the best way they can have business impact is to do the work. And then there are people who the best way they can have impact is to help people who do the work. And if you are one or the other, but find yourself doing the opposite, you are actually hindering your own growth and hindering the success of the business. Someone who should be managing, but is actually trying to do the work is having less impact. Someone who should be doing the work, but is managing is having less impact. And the, the sad part is that the latter scenario more people are actually being affected because it's not even just you yes. not giving the business the best thing. You're actually hindering the ability of the people who you are quote unquote supporting from doing the best thing for the business as well. Right. So that's why I, 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 I use the word clarity, right? Because it's like, how can I best have impact? And then you do that thing. Right. I think that the reason why there's still this element of like inadequacy is because as an industry, we've not yet fully set up the IC track. Right. Like I know we have like staff and principal and like in engineering yep. and go as high as like distinguish, which is like a VP level IC. Um, I think engineering has, has, has gotten way further at this than design, which is, which is to be expected. It's a much older practice and discipline. Um, but I, I, I think there's more work for us to do here. Right. But if we're talking in the context of a founding employee, 
then the organization is small enough that you still have the impact to to form the company's philosophies around these things, right? And if you are being given the opportunity to hire and scale the team, but you know that is actually not what you want to do, then don't do it because you're actually you're actually making a decision in that moment that you are going to be the kind of company that does not allow for IC leadership because you yourself said no to the IC leadership path, you know? Um, and then you will just kind of like cascade that indefinitely through the design organization as it continues to grow. The difficult part there where you said is like, it's hit me so hard that <laughs> you need to have clarity. Like some people have impact by helping other people do the work or some people have more impact by actually doing the work themselves. Yes. In a vacuum, it sounds obviously a very easy choice to make that, hey, I know what are my strengths, what are my weaknesses. But when you kind of work in reality, there's a lot of like uh, influence bias from social media, you sure. know, surroundings, coworkers. And uh, even if you know, and, and this is speaking from personal experience, even if I know in sometimes in my career that, hey, I should, I'm better off doing this, sometimes I've noticed a pull or just a draw of just like what the... Um, I'm losing sight of the word, but uh, basically what the narrative one thinks is. So sometimes it could be yeah. that, hey, the narrative around helping other people do the work, meaning design leadership is more powerful, more glamorous. So let me just do that instead of doing something that I'm really good at, which is just doing the work. So yeah. how, how do you deal with that? Like just thinking without the influence of outside factors and just figuring out what is that impact? Yeah. So within Lattice, um, we we thought very heavily about our IC track and you know we established a level of staff and senior staff and principal uh, a few years ago now and we have people at all of those levels um and one of my big priorities and and it's a priority for all of design leadership at Lattice is to make sure that we're not just creating a level but creating the forums for the people who occupy those levels to have the kind of impact that we say they can have, right? I don't think we're perfect. I think there's a lot of work to be, that is yet to be done, but I am proud of the progress we've made there. Um, so that, because I'm, I'm hyper aware that the folks who are in those levels are also experiencing the, the biases and what tends to get recognized or celebrated on Twitter or, or LinkedIn and stuff like that, you know? It's actually one of the reasons why Bobby and I, like, you know, we, we've had many ideas for a season two of high resolution, but one of the ones that keeps coming back top of mind for me is like, what would it look like to do the IC version of what we did for season one, right? Because for season one, we went and spoke to heads of design, VPs of design, GMs, et cetera, right? What happens if you go find those principles in these tucked away corners of companies that you never hear about them publicly, but the work and the impact they're having within businesses, I would be awe inspiring to people who know that that's what they want to do, but, but are, are feeling all the pulls of the world internally and externally to go the other path, you know? Um, so yeah, so, so we're, we're trying within our company, you know, we have our tracks, we have our forums, right? We, we try to make sure that any forum that, that exists for a manager, that there's a parallel forum for ICs, right? Because what tends to happen with organizations that say that they have the two tracks is that managers get to hear information first, right? Uh, managers yes. we meet on a weekly basis, right? Like all, all the all the things that just remind you that like, hmm, do I actually have the same <laughs> opportunity? To, right? So that that's, we're, we're just trying to identify what all those things are and either like parallelize them or sorry, um, mirror them or or kill some of them on the management side that are probably like unnecessary and just lead to bureaucracy. Love that. You are a young fellow. I mean, you're, you're, you're huh. pretty young. Um, and I'm assuming that as you grew the design team, you've had to hire maybe folks who are senior than you, like older than mm -hmm. you. How do you tackle that uh, situation? Like for any founding designer, they have to hire folks who are way senior than them, right? Uh, way yeah. more experienced than them. Um, but yet they are the head of design and this person that they're bringing on with maybe years more experience than them is going to be reporting to them. Um, how did you personally tackle that situation? Yeah. So early in my career, I, I definitely experienced this a lot. I, I definitely experienced ageism. It's a lot less so now. It's mostly faded for the most part. What has helped is really perfecting or aspiring to perfect the art of hiring. And I think that uh, under 
underappreciated skill in hiring is just active listening. I think what active listening results in is that you tend to glean things about candidates that other companies have not gleaned. And just a mere recognition of them tends to just immediately set you apart. And then what compounds that thing is how you then shape the opportunity to meet those things that you learned by way of just listening really acutely. It's been mentioned to me many times in, in hiring folks of different levels of seniority that like, okay, like I feel understood. I feel like you get me. I feel like this role is actually pulling at the thing that I really want in my next opportunity and stuff like that. Right. Um, and I think that's helped. I think another thing that's helped is just like sometimes naming it, you know, like sometimes I'm interviewing someone where like on paper, it's like, yeah, like you could be my boss's boss, you know? Yeah. Um, and in those situations, like I, I think a failure mode is trying to fake like that's not true right but what actually helps is just naming it right it's like yeah i know i know yeah. that you could do my job right um and and here's how i want to approach that if you were to join it what i tend to tell people when they ask me like you know like how are you going to work with me like well i'm going to treat you like a partner um i'm going to protect you from your blind spots right and there there tends to be a, a belief from the candidate by this point that when i say that second part that it's true because what they what they begin to under, what they begun to understand about me by this point is that I'm very perceptive. I will perceive those things. I will talk to you about them and then I will, I won't forget them. Right. And then when I see you leaning into it, I will call you out on it privately so that you don't trip over yourself. Right. And that by itself is very, very, very helpful for leaders, no matter their level of seniority, just knowing that there's someone there who's in their corner who like will catch them before they trip over their own leg no matter how fast wow. they're capable of running, right? Um, another thing that like I, I tell folks is that like one of the highest impact things I can do for you is help you align your efforts with the business, right? Like you are at a level of seniority that I don't need to tell you what to do, right? Like you, you know what should get done, right? But by way of my role and what I'm privy to, I will have context that will help you uh, best prioritize. And that is effective because you would rather your manager or the person who's, who's, who's supporting you uh, do that and let you go down one or two or three months or quarters doing a thing that ultimately falls flat, right? And then if all those things are going, then I just get out of your way, right? I just enable you to do your work and, 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 and have impact, right? For some people, this resonates. For some people, they're like, okay, cool. So what I'm basically hearing is that this is going to be easy. I'm like, yeah, like <laughs> easy is cool, right? Um, <laughs> and then for some people, like, you know, if they, if, if all that is true and they they're percept they're they're aware of all that and like there's still something that just bugs them about about bugs them out about the situation then that's fine like I get it right like I, I can't control people um, so that's generally how I've approached it and I and I think it's worked because like I'm just being open about it talking to them about it and then we go from there. I love the part where you said that for a lot of folks who are way more senior on paper than you, like have way more experience, you're like, I don't need to tell you what to do. You already know what to do. So yeah. normally in this kind of situation, what is your role uh, become? Do you have to like coach them or do you have to like point them to other coaches or, or like what, what does mentorship look like in this direction? Because they kind of already know what to do. Yeah. Yeah. So every, no matter someone's level of seniority, everyone can always grow. Everyone can always be coached. And you know, I, o over time, I think every manager goes through this journey where when you start supporting people, you feel that you have to be the one that teaches them everything they don't know, right? And uh, over time, you realize your learnings is simply one of many tools by which you can grow people on your team, right? A lot of the other tools are a mix of internal and external. Maybe there are people within the organization, right? And then what you're, what the tool that you're leveraging there is that of like connection, right? It's like, okay, you're trying to grow this thing, this person, this org is really, really good at this thing. So let me connect you with that person. Right. And that is valuable. Right. Sometimes it's external where it's like, Hey, like, you know, um, let me, let me connect you with this coach or let me like connect you with this like L and D thing or whatnot. Right. So it, it's really just expanding your toolkit by you're expanding your developing people toolkit from just the things, you know, uh, to other things that you can pull on to help them ultimately grow. And I think that it's very rare that you come across someone where there is not something in that toolkit that you can leverage, right? So at that point, it's, it's really around like, 
quick identification of what tool is best used for that individual, right? Um, so yeah, the, the, that's generally my thoughts on that. And and when I look at my team right now, there are folks who like, you know, there's something I'm directly coaching them on, whether it's because I have experience there or I just know how they learn. So I'm able to translate, I'm able to translate what they need to focus on to them in a way that they best will understand it, right? There's someone on my team who recently pinged me and said, hey, I, I actually want to learn a little bit more about this and this. And I was reading it. And I'm like, you probably know more about it than me. So I'm going to go find you somewhere, wow. right? I'm like, I'm like, you know, one of the best things I bring to the table as, as a result of like just the projects I've done and the kind of career I've had is that I have a very, very extensive network, right? So I'm like, oh, you should talk to Katie or you should talk to Judy or you should talk to like, you know, like a so-and-so, right? Um, and, you know, we haven't done that yet. I'm still figuring out what the thing is so I can identify who the person should be. But I, I'm, I expect that to be very valuable to him. The hard part for me in this interview is that I know as a host, I have to listen to you in real time. But then some of the, the nuggets you head out, <laughs> I cannot help but think about situations I've like seen. Mm. Um, and I'm, but I'm like, stop, listen, be the present. <laughs> so yeah. I'm trying yeah. very hard <laughs> not to like think about how can I apply all the advice you're giving. Um, so that's why like if I just go brain freeze for a second, it's like, come ah, no problem. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. You're at a very high growth startup where things are changing every day. The business is growing rapidly and you have to level up your skill set at, at to, to match pace with the business. Mm-hmm. And where does Jared go to level up? How does Jared level up? Yeah. So earlier in my career, it was very organic. I just kind of stumbled across the right things at the right times to learn. Like there wasn't really any rhyme or reason to what I did, what I did, why I did what I did to learn. But a few years ago, I started trying to reflect on it and see if there were like patterns that I could identify so that I can be more intentional about my own growth and development. And it sent me down this rabbit hole of learning how you learn. And what I mean by that is that there are archetypes for learning models, like how people best acquire and internalize information. But it's still good to do that own internal work for yourself to figure out how do I best learn, right? Some people learn by just being spoken at. Some people learn by doing. Some people learn by, you know, like even the auditory or even the, the medium input might, might have variants, right? Like video versus audio versus reading. Um, some people learn by mimicking, right? And I have, I'm a mixed kind of learner, but what, what I've realized about myself is that I do a lot of my thinking deeply in my head and I need to like rubber duck. And what I mean by that is like, I need to like, you know, call someone and just talk at them. And I, I tend to pace around, right? So like when I look at like my Apple health app, like, I usually hit at least a mile a day, even if I don't step outside because I'm just pacing, you know? Well. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's, it's pretty wild, but I guess it's good, right? You know, I get my steps in. Um, but, you know, some of the concrete things that I, that I really started to lean into is creating a support system. And I actually think this one is agnostic of how people learn. I think the only thing that can block someone from this one is ego. And, and this is like identifying that like, or recognizing that, there's no such thing as like a single person that should be your mentor. You should rather have almost like a, a board of directors is a term that I've seen people use recently, right? Where it's recognizing that like, okay, like for my job or for my career, there's like four or five things that are very important for me to learn or continue to grow at. Who are the best people I know at those things, right? And what I tend to do is not go after the people I know, but rather ask the people I know who they know, right? Because I feel like people tend to under... O- overestimate the value of their first degree network and underestimate the value of their second degree network. Like the people who know the people you know, like you don't know just the m- amount of amazing stuff and knowledge that's out there, right? So I'll ask someone like who I think could be a mentor for a particular thing, who they go to, and then <laughs> I ask for introduction. <laughs> no, because it's like you know, like it's just like I'm I'm just asking for for connections, you know. Um, and it's nothing about the individual. It's just like, 
you know, I, it's actually, if anything, it's in, it's me saying that, like, I think of you so highly in this regard that I value the people who you consider to be high in this regard, right? I'm not just going to ask someone randomly, like, who's the best person at this, right? Um, and um, I, I've kind of formed my board of directors around that in a sense. I don't call them that, but there's like four or five people who, like, any major decision I'm making for my team or even my career, like, I tend to talk to them before I make it. Right. And it's not to get the answer. It's just kind of like to, to rubber duck, right? Just talk at them, but they are different. They are different kinds of rubber ducks. They're going to, they're going to respond to, to different, to specific parts of what I'm saying. And it kind of helps me flesh out my full thinking and then I can do my, my deep thinking and process. Uh, another thing that I've invested in is a coach, right? Um, so I have a, a career coach. Well, more a work coach, but career, I guess those terms are interchangeable at this point. And, um, we meet like once, twice a month. And like, I, I cannot overstate, uh, the, the value of having someone like that. Right. And like understanding how to distinguish a career coach from like your board of directors, because board of directors, those are mentors and uh, your relationship with a mentor is very distinct than your relationship with a coach. Right. Um, so yeah, so those, those are really the three things like learning how I learn, learning how I internalize information. I'm, I'm a very fast processor. So like any medium that allows me to consume a lot quickly, I will do. And what I found is that YouTube is actually extremely effective for that for me. Um, I'm also the kind of person who learns by like trying something in a very low stakes scenario. So like even when I started getting into like startup investing, like I started very, very low stakes. Like I wasn't directly investing. I was cutting really, really small checks into like SPVs where like, you know, I'm not the person appearing on the cap table. I'm one of many, right? And then just trying to like learn and then like iterate and learn the terms and learn due diligence. And then over time, I dove in, right? Whereas there are people who don't do it that way. There are people who are like, I need to read five books on the topic and then I'll just go all in, right? And then there are people yep. who are like, I don't even do that. I just go all in. And I'm neither <laughs> of those people, right? So just knowing that about myself helps me, right? So I'd say that's a trifecta. Learn how you learn, build that board of directors, that support system for yourself. And, and part of that is not undervaluing the, the, the value and the, 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 the group intelligence of your second degree network and then find a coach. And I, I understand that like for the third most one, there's cost implications for that, right? Um, like it's not, it's not cheap. Um, but if you, if you think of it from the, the lens of an investment, right? It is, it pays dividends, right? Like if you're down to buy a share of Tesla, okay, spend that money on like one hour with a coach, right? And like you'll, you'll probably get a higher, um, <laughs> you'll probably get a higher year over year, uh, appreciation <laughs> if you go that route, you know? So yeah. Phenomenal, phenomenal insight, Jared. Just want to say thank you so much, so much. We're just coming on the show and sharing your insights. Yeah. Yeah, this is fun. If you made it this far, you are what I call a design MBA super fan. And I've got a gift for you, my super fan. Head over to designmba.show where you will find my email address. Email me one thing you learned from this podcast episode and I will get on a 30-minute call with you and help you in your career goals. See you in the next episode.